Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work. Gresham curling, curling. Magnificent all round. This is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang, and the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. One round to go and still so much to be determined. What an amazing round of football we've got coming up. What an amazing round of football we've just had. Welcome to the Al and Lingy Show. Cameron Ling. I cannot believe what we've seen and what we have in front of us. It's very exciting into the season. Yeah, we're not putting hyperbole on it, are we, Al, when we say it's just been an incredible season. Uh, it's great to be with you again. Well done on all your fantastic work on the Commonwealth Games. You did oh, thanks, a terrific job again, Al. Good love, fun. You, love your work and all the Channel 7 team. It was great fun. My boys absolutely loved watching all the different sports as they do every single time with the Olympic Games, the Winter Olympics, and now the Com Games. Um, but footy is footy's what's fresh in my mind. And, well, there's so much to, that's going on right now. We're, we're obviously recording this Monday um, around about 1 o'clock, 1.15. I'm sure there's a lot to come out and maybe we'll be reacting live to it with what's, go, what's going on at Essendon at the moment. Um, but just on the season and how incredible the finish is going to be. I can't believe for all the scripting and the, the floating rounds and everything like that, that it is going to come down to... The Bulldogs playing at 110. If they win and they find a way to get over the top of the Hawks, Carlton versus Collingwood at the MCG 320 on a Sunday afternoon to decide if Carlton are finally playing finals or not. What a finish. Oh, it'd be awesome. That's live and free on Channel 7 on Sunday as well, that 320 game. And Collingwood will be playing for a spot in the top four, so the double chance. And there is that probability that Carlton will be playing for a spot in the finals for the first time since 2013. So there's a, a lot to weave through here in terms of how we've got to this position. But let's start with Essendon because a lot is unfolding at the football club. Uh, after the result, the pounding from Port Adelaide, Ben Rutten said that it was an embarrassing performance, that the players were hurting, that he was hurting. But it seems yesterday there were things afoot even prior to that poor performance and the President of the football club or the chairman, Paul Brasher, uh, would be leaving. It was determined yesterday. To me, that rang alarm bells straight away for, for Ben Rutten because Paul Brasher had signalled that Rutten was the man to continue in that job. Paul Brasher is the one who commissioned the internal review that created so much controversy, a real storm around Essendon, people asking why you would conduct an internal review. Someone doing the review who already works with the people who are being reviewed, it needed to be an external review in the, I guess, the case of North Melbourne we saw with Jeff Walsh going in there and running an independent eye over things. So a lot's been happening in the background. It is believed that David Barham, television executive, is going to be the new chairman and and wherever he's gone, Lingy, he's brought about change. He's done it in television. He's done it 
or attempted to do it with radio. He's adjusted um, cricket competitions, all sorts of things across the year. And he's been revolutionary in, in broadcast and the way sport is broadcast on television. So if he's the man, which is quite likely to be announced, I don't think he's going to quietly go about business and allow things to continue in the, the way that they have. No, it doesn't feel like he will. And it doesn't feel like a lot of Essendon people want him to just continue on. And, and the timing of all of this, obviously you've got reports during this last week that there's a very strong offer um, from North Melbourne for Alistair Clarkson to end up there and Clarkson being very, very close to agreeing to that deal. And then you have that horror performance yesterday by the Bombers um, where they got completely destroyed by Port Adelaide. You, I think you've got a little swirling sea of everything going on that says, well, if they want change, they've got to make a decision now because you do have a proven four-time premiership coach sitting there about to be off the market, but still currently on the market. So make a call now and make a change now or back Ben Rutten in completely. So that's all swirling. And uh, and as we're speaking, obviously, there's a the board meeting happening and all of that will be discussed. Um, it, it feels like the momentum and, and Neil Mitchell reporting today that yeah. Ben Rutten will be moved on and Daniel G and Syracuse will coach the last game. Uh, knowing Neil, I don't think he would go with something like that at all if um, it was he wasn't 99.9% certain that it's happening. So the momentum looks like they're going to make a big change at the Bombers. Yeah, it's interesting. If you go back only a few weeks, Essendon beat Brisbane at the Gabba, bet they were without a lot of good players given health and safety protocols. But they also beat Sydney, Essendon, and there was a more of a feeling of positivity starting to surround that club. And these decisions, it seems, have come, Nailingi, even before the performance yesterday, which has led to a thousand talkback callers ringing in and, and declaring that everyone from top to bottom bottom needs to be cleaned out of the Essendon Football Club. So to me, it's built on the back of this frustration with the internal review. There were clearly board members who were not happy with the way that that was conducted and the process around it. And they've agitated for change. The change has come. And if Paul Brasher backs in Ben Rutten as coach, and the decision is, well, hang on, I think we really do need to put our eggs in the Clarkson basket, at least express some interest. Well, Brasher needs to go first before that can, can be possible. And the minute he does, then yeah. the minute they declare an interest in Alistair Clarkson, it basically makes Ben Rutten's position untenable, doesn't it? It, it does, yeah, unfortunately, because Ben ben Rutten's a terrific footy person and, um, and was a really good assistant coach. And to think that it could just be so... So immediate, just bang, gone. After a promising year last year, yes, a step backwards this year, but was that a step backwards they had to have to learn some things and then they launch into um, the next couple of years? I don't know. We'll never, we'll, we'll perhaps never know under Ben Rutten. And it seems so harsh on him, but Essendon aren't, they're, they're one of the big clubs. They're one of the massive clubs, the power clubs, huge history. Um, they haven't had success for a long, long time. That we know that the, the drought of even finals wins has been 20 years. It, it's they they are always in a hurry. They will make a decision because they think, well, we've got to make it now. Let, let's just get the next person in who can do a better job. Um, it feels like while Clarkson's available, they'll want to get him. It doesn't mean they definitely will get him, even if they moved on from Ben Rutten, but 
it feels like there is a, an element of impatience with the big, big Essendon players. And I, and I mean the big coterie groups, the Essendonians, the, you know, the big money people, the board members. Is a, they hold a lot of power within that club. And if they start rumbling and saying, uh, th- he's not our man, go and get him, well, then I think change happens pretty quickly with the Bombers. Yeah, and I think we've seen it at Carlton as well. They're a club that's notorious for it. A level of impatience as well. If you look at it, they're the two most successful clubs in the competition, aren't they, over the, the course of, of history? So they're used to success, Ling. Can I can I jump in though, Al, and say yes, you are absolutely correct. Up to a certain point in history, 1995 being the last premiership, yes, 2000 yep. being the last premiership for the Bombers. So that is not modern history. No. So modern football, modern football clubs. Have they moved beyond that impatience and that desire for change all the time? Good point. Rich, Richmond got so close to making that change with Damien Hardwick. They held their nerve, success comes. Even rewind back a bit to my time. Yeah. Mark Thompson, Thomas. they nearly yeah. nearly moved on. Brian Cook had the calmness and the clearness to say, no, nah, we're on the right track. It was a poor year. Let's move forward with some subtle changes around him. Success comes. So he's... Modern football and modern football clubs, one where you kind of have to hold and go the journey a little bit with with tinkering rather than bang, he's gone, next one in. That old school thinking that brought so much success to Carlton and Essendon. So Alistair Clarkson finds himself in an interesting position. It wasn't so long ago that it seemed like the suitors for potential suitors for Alistair Clarkson were starting to dwindle because coaches were being reappointed, coaches were being verbally backed in. As well, now it seems like he's he's got options. Um, and it seemed to me like North Melbourne was very advanced in its discussions to the point where I thought it extremely likely that the former player would become the new coach of the North Melbourne Football Club on that five-year deal that's been put in front of him. So what now, Lingy, where if you were Alistair Clarkson, and I know there are contractual matters that would come into it and tenure and the financial side of it as well, but just thinking purely from a football perspective... Where would you go, Essendon or North Melbourne? Uh, that is a great question, Al. Uh, and if I could strip away some of the work that perhaps was being done behind the scenes with the North Melbourne deal of him being able to bring different individuals in with him and that entire um, hierarchy that he was going to create, just leave that for a second and I go pure playing lists and bright future, I'd have to choose Essendon. They are... They are more advanced than North Melbourne. Now, that's pretty obvious to everyone, but the potential of their youth is incredibly exciting. When you think of what Harry Jones could be, or you think of Nick Cox, and and we haven't hardly seen him this year, he's going to be something special. It's going to take three years, four years, for Cox to be at the level that, um, that he can get to, but his upside, his ceiling is beyond most players in the entire league. Then you throw in the consistent quality players they've already got in Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish. What could Sam Draper be? Yes, they've still got some spots they need to fill up. I think they need a bigger key defender. Jordan Ridley is a superb defender. Redmond's excellent. I just think all of those pieces are still young enough to mould and shape and you're almost part of still a build, not a total rebuild, but a build but you're going to get there a lot quicker than what you're going to get there with North Melbourne. Essendon's peak is four years off, three, three to four years off. 
North Melbourne's peak is six or seven years off if you get it right. They they are a long way off their build, North Melbourne. Um, so I would be choosing Essendon, but that also comes with a whole lot of other questions about can he bring his own team in? Um, is he allowed to have a, a GM of footy who he's worked with before, like there was talk with North Melbourne? All of that. So, yes, all these other layers come into consideration, but pure list, I'd choose Bombers. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. And Clarkson has said he wants a group that he can take, he can see that can can win a premiership under him. So he's got to weigh that up. The old romantic in Meadling, he would love to see him go to North <laughs> Melbourne. And I think that the Clarkson legacy, already huge in the game, could be advanced even further. If he could turn North Melbourne, a club that he played for, back into a successful side, even a relevant side in the competition initially, and then then back to contending for a premiership again. If he could do that with the group at the low ebb the club is at at the moment, would absolutely take him. He's already one of the great coaches of all time, but that would just be another piece to that Clarkson resume that I think would, would almost make him the greatest ever if he could do something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good caller. Yeah, because... He took a Hawthorne at their bottom. I mean, they, yep. you know, they, I think they just got Hodgie at number one um, a couple of years before he got there. But then obviously the famous Franklin and Roughhead draft. And, and so they were, they were right at the bottom and they accessed the draft and they, and Clarkson developed and grew that list and put it together and then added a couple of pieces at the end with some really clever free agent training, um, tradings. So built the success and built that premiership. So he took them from at or near the bottom to premierships, multiple premierships. If he could do that with North Melbourne, yes, I, I agree with you. That would, be, that would be something unbelievable to be able to do it twice in his coaching career. Um, I, I just wonder if that journey is, is too long, too arduous mm-hmm. this time around. He's... I'm not calling you old for a second, Clarko, because I'm kind of scared of you. Dangerous, <laughs> Lingy. Uh, he's, he's not as young as what he was. Um, North Melbourne is not a massively resourced club and, and all of those things. I just wonder if Essendon is better suited for where he is at. Still building a list. They're still bottom-ish, um, but I think a bit more advanced. But I, I hear what you're saying loud and clear, Al. There's a bit to play out there, Lingy. It's going to play out across the course of, of, of the hours um, today and, and we'll wait and see where it all ends up. But at least we know at this point the speculation is there. Neil Mitchell, respected broadcaster, long time in the game, very good contacts, has been happy enough to, to put it out there that he believes Ben Rutten has been sacked and Daniel John Syracuse will be coaching this weekend in the final match for the season, home and away for Essendon against Richmond. And it seems as well that we're going to see a change at the top. The chairman, Paul Brash, is standing down and the likely candidate to replace him. As we sit here speaking now is David Barham, television executive. So I've had a bit to do with David. think he's excellent um, and would be a very good appointment for the Essendon Football Club if they go down that path. Lingy, some games of football across the weekend that we need to get to. Melbourne and Carlton, what an amazing game that was. Extraordinary finish to the game. I did the game at the SCG with 44,500 people packing out the ground for Sydney and Collingwood. Sydney so impressive. But again, I come away and I, I still believe in, in Collingwood and, and what they're doing. Um, but that was an amazing atmosphere. The third largest home and away crowd for 
AFL, VFL football at the SCG and the biggest in 25 years or so. So it had that huge buzz about it yesterday, Lingy. But let's start with Melbourne and Carlton because you can look at it two ways. And Michael Voss in the post-match was very keen to say, let's not hone in too much on the two minutes where we blew it. Let's look at the 118 minutes where we got it right against the reigning Premier and we really took it to them. Where do you land on, on that? Where would you where would the focus be if you were going through the match review, Lingy? I, I I hear what Voss is saying, and I agree with him. Get, going into finals, you've got to build their belief. And, and going into a, well, a near elimination final this Sunday against Collingwood, you can't rip them apart um, internally, I'm talking. So, yeah, you've got to build that belief and let them believe in that 118 minutes. But I still think there needs to be a really strong, robust uh, review and, and a whole group review of that last two minutes as learning mechanisms. They've been in close games throughout the year and at times handled it okay. They didn't handle this one well and they, and they lost a game they really should have won. It was a strange game for me, Al, and, and this is probably a, a big tick for Carlton. They didn't win it in the way that I... Sorry, I take that back. They didn't put themselves in a winning situation in a way that I thought they would, Carlton. I, they... It was really hard, arm wrestly, hard fought, scrappy, ugly at times, but in a you know in a beautiful way because it was such a good contest. You know, a goal apiece for a long time, then two goals apiece for a long time, and it had that low scoring, gritty feel where I thought, oh, if Carlton are going to get them, they're going to get them a bit on the outside. They're going to be able to score on them a little bit. Kerno and Mackay are going to get some good quick ball use into their forward line, and they're just going to break Melbourne open a bit. That's the way they'll build a lead. Well, that wasn't the case. It was. It was grinding. And I think the ability to put themselves in a winning position against the reigning premiers in a different way, a, a gritty sort of way, made me feel better about Carlton. I, I reckon they've been a little bit, got to get it on their own terms, got to get midfield dominance and super quick played to be that good team that we were looking at in the first half of the year. But this was a way that, a, a different way of playing good football against a really good opposition to put themselves in that position, but then they still lost the game. So I can't get, I'm not going to get too glowing about them, Al. Um, the 118 minutes was, was good signs, but they still coughed up a game that they had right there in their hands. And you want to play finals and you want to do something in finals, you've got to grab those games. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see the down the ground footage, but Carlton had, I think, three behind the ball. So where were they in that last play? And, and Jake Lever, credit to him to have the foresight to roll the dice and know that there was an advantage in the middle of the ground. He just had to get that ball in there. And Motlop, the unfortunate bounce. Jaden Hunt's kick, he had some critical moments. He's a player who didn't play in the Premiership last year. He's been in and out of the senior side this year. But he had clutch moments in that, that last quarter and he kicked it to the perfect spot um, for them to manufacture a score. Well, I think we saw again a couple of players who didn't feature in that premiership. Jakey Melksham having a huge game. That's maybe where Melbourne find that little upswing from now. They've just been just, just struggling away a little bit. They've been hunted all year, still playing some good football, but not that elevated great football. Yeah. Maybe those sorts of players who are desperately hungry to, to feature in a premiership, they might give them that little um, swing on the up. Um, you're right, and and when you go to the review of Carlton, three back, well, did they all just, as they felt the play opening up, did they all just retreat and go, 
I've got to get back, got to get back, got to get back. And they've all retreated and they've actually ended up hurting their, their own team by all thinking, oh, we need to get back and protect, as opposed to calmly, clearly thinking through, hey, we've already got one spare back. That means I need to push up and, and pick off one of the free people and we'll cut this off before it gets down there. That's that's a mature team's thinking, that calmness and control in a in a crazy end to a game. It shows that Carlton aren't there yet and, and they're, they could still do something this season, maybe, but it also points to the thing that Carlton's best football is probably next year, the year after, and the year after that. They're... They're slightly immature in their in their seeing of the game and handling those big moments because of that panic of, oh, let's all just run back because the opposition's coming at us late in a game, which is the last thing you want to do in that situation. Melbourne, conversely, Lenny showed a maturity. So they were beaten in a similar sort of a, a thrilling finish against Collingwood the week before and then had the opportunity in a tight game to try and amend it to to get right what they got wrong the week before. So that opportunity came immediately and they took it. I still don't think Melbourne's playing anywhere near as well as they were last year when they won the premiership. And to me, over the last few weeks, Geelong just looks the most complete side to me. They keep turning up. They keep performing. They keep having an even performance across the board. It's hard to find a chink in that side at the moment, whereas you can pinpoint things with Melbourne that still aren't rightling it. It's that sort of mid to forward connection. Perhaps it is just that that midfield, as blessed as they are with brilliant midfielders, perhaps they're being pressured and the ball coming in is not coming in in the way that it was. So Fritch can't get out on the lead in the way that he couldn't get those low dart kicks coming into him. It's more high balls going inside the attacking 50. Brown's not the right kind of forward to be taking those pack marks. Wiedemann's not in the side. So just their inability to score at times, Melbourne, still I think is a bit of a concern as much as if you look at them on paper, outstanding defence, brilliant midfield and a, a serviceable forward line. So there's that, a bit of work to do, but maybe they can get it right in September. Yeah, but that formula that you're talking about there, outstanding defence, brilliant midfield and solid forward line, that's still a make-up that can win a premiership. Yeah. It, it's... I'm with you on their deficiencies and their ease of scoring. When they do get momentum, they're not ending games by going bang, 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 game over, like six goals to one quarter. So I've got those same concerns. But if it was a brilliant forward line, a good midfield and a really weak defence or a really weak midfield and good... Then you go, nah, that's not a premiership formula. But a brilliant defence, brilliant midfield and just a solid forward line still wins a premiership. Yeah. Potentially. so they're right there. I'm with you on Geelong completely, and that's I'm hopefully taking off my Geelong scarf to say this, that just across the board, I think they're, they're excellent in, in all three facets of the game. Um, really even contributions from everyone. They've managed their players really well, getting rest into a couple of players again on the weekend. I think the Sydney Swans is the other one, though, who comes in with that conversation. Yeah. You're fresh off that game, so you saw it live against Collingwood. I was watching it on TV. Talk about an even team who are well-organised down back. They they cover for each other really well. The midfield's got this brilliant balance of insight, hard, just ruthless, and, and pressure and win the ball and outstanding speed and ball use and use it. And that forward line is starting to just go everywhere. Now, Buddy only has to kick two or three. He doesn't need to be the main man. 
Heaney and Papley are back on fire again. How impressive were they seeing them in person against very, the Very, very much so, Lingy. And their ability to defend when Collingwood threw all they possibly could at them, their capacity to deny Collingwood time and time again. It was this wall that just refused to break. The McCartan brothers, sensational. Dane Rampey, uh, key moments. Uh, that bump that he put on Brody Majacek when he looked like he would goal at a critical stage of the game, I think it would have brought the margin back inside four goals at that point, maybe even less. Just right across. Robbie Fox, outstanding job on Jamie Elliott yesterday. So they are the epitome of the even team. And you talk about that midfield, Lingy, the age demographic of that midfield and the players coming through. Gordon good again yesterday. Warner had great moments again yesterday. That Mills is still a fairly young player. This is a side that could be good for, for a fair while. And they had, we've been talking about them for a few weeks being the sleeper. They're up to second now. They, they're not a sleeper anymore. They are absolutely legitimate, aren't they? Yeah, no, they are for sure, Al. Uh, and, and, yeah, we've both been on that train for a few weeks now. They are very, very good. And sorry to bring it back again to the Bombers and Essendon fans, but you, you look at Essendon's build, rebuild, false start, rebuild, false start. You look at some of the other clubs who have false started so many times and, and Carlton might have finally got it right this time, but they've false started so many times, rebuilds. The Gold Coast Suns even have had all these opportunities to, to build, get it wrong, build, get it wrong. Then you look at the Sydney Swans and you just think how exceptional has this near seamless, I hesitate to use the word rebuild, but it almost has been. They started putting in these young players yes. early, early days and we're thinking, well, hang on a second. Who's this kid Warner and who's this kid Robottom and is Stevens that good? And some of them are nice draft picks, but, um, you know, Goulden, there's academy players and all that, but they were just pumping those games into these players, game after game after game. And wore the, they remained competitive through those years, but wore the fact that they were seventh to tenth for a few years there and fighting and fighting to just go, bang, we're back up and legitimate and pretty much... Well, I'm going to put Geelong, Melbourne, Sydney. They're the three for me. I didn't get any answers to Brisbane from the weekend, so I can't put them there. With Collingwood probably just sitting, I'm only talking a slither of daylight below those three, but to have the Swans right there with Melbourne and Geelong, that is so impressive by John Longmire and his team. That that has been a a perfect uh, relaunch or whatever you want to call it to be back right up the top of the ladder. Yeah, I mean, Collingwood, 11-game winning streak, they've been superb. Did, really did throw everything at, at Sydney in the last quarter yesterday. Struggled to get their game going early and didn't use the corridor like we've seen them. When they started to run that ball through the corridor and Josh Dacos was keen in breaking the lines open and his work to either side of the ground was really impressive. He helped open, open it up a little bit and they looked more threatening. But the forward line was just that off, a little bit off. Majacek couldn't get involved. Elliot was really quiet. Ginevan hurt his hamstring. Um, I have to say I was with, with those that took a dim view of the booing of Jack Ginevan with an injured hamstring on the bench. Perhaps it was done in a, you know, a shot pops up on the screen. The crowd instinctively reacts to the, the, the pantomime villain without really thinking about the injury he'd sustained. Not sure. But 
this guy is being completely demonised in the game at the moment. Uh, yes, he has attracted some of the reception he's received without question. And even yesterday, he was still throwing the arm up, trying to accentuate high tackles. But that's him. He's a 19-year-old kid. I, I, the that's burden the on him at his age to have 40-odd thousand people at that ground booing a 19-year-old kid, it just didn't quite feel right. I understand people, it's a tribal game, Lingy, you get behind your team, you don't have to like opposition players, that's fine. But I think we need to be a little bit careful when it comes to a young person who, who's still got some maturing to do and they're so fresh to the game. Yeah, and we're not talking about a 33-year-old, 34-year-old who laughs it off and covers Joel Selwood gets booed by opposition fans. He rolls with it. He goes, yeah, I've got under their skin, whatever. This is a 19-year-old kid. I mean, come on, think about it. It's that pack mentality of 40,000 fans booing them. And and footy fans will sit there listening to this and go, I pay my money, I'm allowed to boo. Yeah, 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 sure you are. But just think for two sex gun. This is a kid. He's injured. He's 19. For all his bravado, a lot of it might be false bravado, and he's spoken quite openly about the mental struggles that he's had a bit. I'm going, oh, do you really need to pile in on this kid? I Sadly for me, Al, it, it's, it's a m- minority of fans giving the rest of the wonderful footy yeah, public absolutely. a really poor name. I mean, the most recent just horrendous racial attacks on, on players, Callum Archie and Cozzy Pickett. And they sort of just, I, I get so angry because... I spend so much of my time talking footy with people out in the public and I love going to the footy. And there are so many wonderful fans out there who just love their game and love their teams. These idiots, these pathetic people, and and I'm I'm probably going on a bit bit more of a rant here of the, the racial stuff, but they just give everybody a crap name and I hate it. And it's it, horrific, mate, and it's cowardly and it's so unnecessary and people like that have no place in the game and I think it's great that clubs are calling out these people and fans need to keep calling out these people. It's it's an absolute disgrace that people would be bringing race to the table and hiding behind a keyboard to do it. So, yeah, I, there is zero place for people like that in the game. Absolutely zero. If people want to boo Jack Ginevan when he's taking a shot at goal at an important stage of the game, when he's razzed the crowd up or he might silence the crowd, fine. Go for your life. I just, I just felt a little bit uncomfortable yesterday. And I don't want to over-dramatise it, but I felt a bit uncomfortable when they were doing it, when he was clearly injured. He's a young kid, and I think there's a huge burden on his shoulders. And yeah. as you say, one that he's, he's spoken about. So... Collingwood will be playing Carlton Lingy on Sunday, as we've mentioned, for a spot in the top four. They haven't played a final, these two teams, since 1988. So I think this is going to be about the biggest game (laughs) since 88 when they played in a final. And it'll be absolutely massive because if the Dogs can knock off Hawthorne, Carlton's spot in the eight is under serious threat and they would need to win the game. So 90,000 people, I think, we're, we're looking at at the MCG for, for that one, surely. So, have you done all the um, all the magical com- computations and everything? I'm not sure that it's possible. There was a professor, I think, who contacted Jared Waitley's radio program this morning saying that there were 228 possibilities still in seven games of the nine this weekend to have a bearing <laughs> on who finished where and who was here. And my goodness, yeah, there's a lot because- to play out. You think the only scenario with when we're talking the bottom of the eight is the Dogs win, their percentage goes up a little bit. If Carlton lose and their percentage comes back a little bit because there's yeah. just, just under 1% difference at the moment, 
that the dogs jump in ahead of the Blues. I think it's got to be about an 18-point swing, something around that, yeah. The other one is, and I don't think this is possible, but I'm, 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 a mathematician will be much better, but it could <laughs> happen. If Carlton lose and the dogs lose and somehow St Kilda give the Swans a bit of a smacking in the final game of the season, no, they can jump in there. Don't, don't build false hope, Lingy. That, it, that's got as much chance of happening as Matthew Lloyd teaching Max King to oh, kick it, goals it, accurately, at least if Brett Ratton's making the decision. What, what did you make of that? That seems ludicrous to me. I do wonder whether it's now time, and I know he's a young player. Max King just says, sorry, I don't, I've got an existing relationship with Matthew Lloyd. He wants to help me. I want his help. Yeah. I want to get better, so I'm doing it. So And so he should. And I've, I've been strong on this all weekend. It is his career. It is his career to take responsibility of. And the what he gets out of his career is what he puts into it. The coaches and the club is there to provide an environment where he can be at his absolute best, his absolute peak. But if for any reason that he feels like there's an ability to go higher with that peak by sourcing outside help, communicating that with the club and why he wants to do it. So certainly a collaborative approach, go and do it. Now, if, if there's concern, Matthew Lloyd's the obvious one because it's just a great full forward, a great goal kicker, and they've got that relationship through um, when Matthew Lloyd was a coach of him at Halebury. So that is an obvious one. But as Lloydy quite rightly said on Sunday, it doesn't, it's, it, it can't be someone who's just going to be once a week for an hour, spends a bit of time having a chat with him, having a coffee with him. It needs to be a really concentrated approach. Now, if that's not Matthew Lloyd, because one, Lloydy can't do it, or two, it's a really high-profile thing and maybe it becomes a bit of a circus and Max doesn't want to do it, St Kilda doesn't want to do it, go and find someone else. I, I threw up the name just from my experiences of David Whedon, the famous development coach at the Bombers during their great years, then at the Cats and has worked at multiple clubs, has written heaps yeah. and heaps of books on skills. He spent time at Geelong and it was all about the technical aspect of with kicking, with goal kicking, the mental approach, creating a routine. And it was every single day practised or three or four times a week practised and every single week. Get somebody like that for Max King and make it a make it a concerted effort over six months to 12 months to build his ability both physically and mentally to kick the ball between the big sticks. This isn't something that turns around in two weeks, Al. His technique, yeah. his technique isn't right and clearly he doesn't have confidence in his technique so mentally he's not right when he lines up. And it's up. that capacity for his lack of confidence kicking to affect his entire game, which I would be worried about and would be at pains to do anything to remedy. And even if just working with someone who he knows and trusts like a Matthew Lloyd externally to the football club, even if he generates positivity and confidence out of that, that's a win. Jimmy Bartell talked about, you know, staying after training and, and kicking the ball and getting the water boys and, and runners to just throw balls all over the place so he could hit kicks. And the strength and conditioning coach would come out and say to him, in you come, you've done enough. And he'd be like yeah. putting up the middle finger and saying, sorry, mate, this this is my career and you're not the one who's out there under pressure who needs to hit a kick in the back line to get us out of trouble. That's on me. And if I do a quad or I do a hamstring as a result of it, that's also on me. But I've got this window in my career where I want to become the best player I possibly can be. And I think now is the time that Max King asserts himself in that regard and 
says, hey, I, I actually want to go and get some, you know, we see players go and get help with their running, don't we? They've, they've gone yeah. and got outside help with professional running programs, that kind of thing. I don't really see it being any different. It seems St Kilda feels like this is some sort of personal slight on their system, their inability to get him better. Who cares? Just, just get him better. That's exactly right, Al. And, and you talk about the different, all the examples I could name right now. So Jimmy's one there. Um, physically, so Joel Selwood early in his career um, was really struggling with his recovery at times. So he went and sourced external yoga, um, that, you know, that hot yoga they do, Bikram yoga, whatever. He, he did that because he wanted to get his body supple and recover really well outside of the club. Joel Corey, going back to one of the great players I played with, his back was actually something that was causing him issues early on in his career. Well, he went and sourced extra Pilates and, and was, was a Pilates fiend, would be two or three times a week, reformer, all that sort of stuff, but do it. For me, it was, I didn't have great outside speed. We all, we all know that, but I had to have really good close-in footwork to play on a Sam Mitchell or a Brent Harvey just as much as I was playing on a um, Adam Goods or an Anthony Kudafidis, the big guys, the quick little guy. So I played squash and racquetball every single pre-season and off-season, two times a week, in order to improve my footwork. Well, that's something that is not in the training program and most sports scientists people and fitness people would frown on that. I had to do it because I needed to be really excellent in that area to make up for the fact that if they got three steps on me in congestion, imagine how much room they're going to get under me in open field. So my footwork had to be excellent. So all these different examples of players I played with who just spent that extra bit of time going and finding the thing that was going to make them better because, as you said, Al, it's their career and it's Max King's career. So if he, if he wants to be a great player, go and do the things that are going to make him great and, and demand it. Like, I love what Josh Kennedy, West Coast Eagles, Josh Kennedy said um, earlier on. His, he, just, he had to basically fight for the right to have set shots at goal at training. Yeah. And he did, and he won that fight, and he became one of the great goal kickers. And in that's history. gone right down through the group now, down to Oscar Allen, who's, who's injured, obviously. But that's that's who they are, Darling Kennedy, and now Allen, who's going to lead that forward line at West Coast into the future. They are. We will take as many shots at goal as we determine necessary to feel confident kicking a goal. It's the most important part of the the game is finishing the good work of the team done up the field. So. Let's see what happens. It is a little difficult, though, when Brett Ratton has so emphatically come out and said that that will not be happening. So it either requires a backflip or for Max King to go and do this in secrecy. It just, yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens here because it, it, it seems obvious to everyone external to St Kilda that he should be afforded that opportunity. So, so offer an alternative to Max then. If you're emphatic because you don't want Matthew Lloyd to do it, that's what the message is. For, for whatever reason, I, Lloyd is just outstanding. Not champion he, of the game, over yeah. 900 goals, one of the best kicks ever, had a routine. And, and he's also so professional that he would yeah. never compromise letting anything out or anything like that. He's such a pro. If you don't want it to be Lloyd, go and find someone else. Is it Sav Rocker? Is it, I don't know, there's great forwards working across the media everywhere or in different parts of football that aren't locked into a football club. Is it, a, I don't know, a Jonathan Brown? Is it a Brendan Favola? Whoever it might be. Now, you've got to pick the right fit for the person and everything like that. Fev might not be that fit. I, I get all that. But you understand, go and source an alternative if you've got a particular reason why you don't want someone. I don't know what that reason could be. 
But if it doesn't work, still go and find something, somebody for Max that's going to help him. Yeah, well, I mean, they have Jared Rufford there who, who understands the technician. He understands it very well. But the, the bare numbers are that he's struggling to kick at 50% over the last three seasons, basically. And you would want him at the very least getting that up towards 60 to 70% accuracy, Max King, if he's... I mean, he could kick 80 goals in a season if he can straighten things up. He's that kind of player. So, he's, he's that good. There's yeah. no question about that. Um, but you're right about if he doesn't want the ball in his hands because he's worried about his goal kicking and affects his ability to get the ball in the first place, has that spiral effect. I, I honestly, and this is just because of a, a, an incredible result that I saw at Geelong. I, if you're not going to get Lloydy, I'd go get Dave Whedon and just say, spend the next six months with Max and three times a week for an hour each time, build his technique and build him mentally and see what the results are. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about Zane Cordy being referred straight to the tribunal for the, the shepherd, the bump on Tanner Bruin. I, I have to say, Lingy, I was shocked. And I know Tanner Bruin was concussed, but don't we have a table of offences that the MRO looks at, Michael Christian? And to me, wouldn't it just be cross cross or, you know, tick for, for contact. Contact is to the body. Yeah, body. And was it legal? Was it a reportable offence? No. No. So case dismissed. But oh. to refer it straight to the tribunal to me is it's that's a hospital handball. It's sort of foregoing your responsibility. I need another authority to, to make this determination when I think the table of offences it's very easy to run the table and see that that is not a reportable offence. And am I right in saying, Al, that the director of the tribunal are for the ones that almost can't be graded, yeah. are either too complicated because they're a one-off action or so severe that they So don't... in the case of, I think, Eric Hipwood was the last one for umpire contact when he, when he pushed the umpire out of the way going back yeah. a month or more. That, to me, that action of Zane Cordy can be graded. Very, very easily. Body, it's a football act. What, legal because it's within the five metres. Um, play on. It, it's, he, he, you know what Zane Cordy did? Zane Cordy ran the risk of choosing to bump. And if he got, I think if he got Tanner Bruin with his Different shoulder story. in, gets him in the head, he gets a month for that if it breaks his jaw or something like that. So Zane Cordy took a massive risk in doing the action he did. But... He executed it perfectly, didn't get Tanner in the head. Unfortunately for Tanner, the whiplash effect then meant that his head smashed into the ground and he's concussed. That is not on Zane Cordy. So I don't know why it's, it's going anywhere near the tribunal. Yeah. I, it, that one doesn't make sense. It's not Zane Cordy's responsibility for Tanner Bruin hitting his head on the ground. It, it, it's Zane Cordy's responsibility if his shoulder had hit Tanner Bruin in the head. And it's known Cordy's responsibility if it is not legal yes. to shepherd within five metres of the ball and if it is not legal to bump shoulder to shoulder, but it is. So, and, and I just, I fully support the crackdown on head hits and the very serious response to concussion that's being taken. Absolutely, we need to make sure that there are fewer concussions in the game, but we're never getting to the point where there are no concussions in the game. It's just not going to happen. And there are all sorts of other occasions where you could see players concussed, whether it be in a marking contest, whatever it is, falling to the ground, hitting the head. We just cannot legislate against all of those 
uh, incidents. And I think if you ask the majority of players, Lingy, there's a level of acceptance that they, they run the risk when they go out and play. This is a contact sport. And unless you completely modify the game and turn it into something that nowhere near resembles what it is and what we love, that's not going to change. No, I agree. Did you see the one? I wish I was... I wish I was as well organised as you, Alan, as professional as you, because I don't know who the player was who did the hitting. But Josh Dunkley got absolutely obliterated on the weekend. It was a blindside hit, got smashed, and head bumped to the head. He got up, was fine. I don't know how. Maybe it was just one of those ones where it gets him in the right place and it doesn't knock him out. And Josh Dunkley bounced up and kept on playing the game. Nothing to do with that. So that action was a lot worse than Zane Cordy's one. One, it got him in the in the head. It was more off the ball, a bit further away, a bit more blindside. That action is one if you're going purely on action, you probably want removed from the game. Zane Cordy's one is, is an action that is completely legal within the rules of the game and he's executed it well. Lucky for him, he didn't get shoulder yeah. to head but executed well, that is an accident then that Tanner Bruin hits his head on the ground. So he's purely being punished, or should I say potentially punished, sent onto the tribunal because of the outcome that Tanner gets knocked out. If, if you want to eradicate everything, eradicate every action that might cause a concussion or just understand that there are some times where yeah. accidents unfortunately happen. So tell me, when... This goes to the tribunal. What is Zane Cordy actually? What is the charge he's defending himself? Yeah, I don't know. There, I don't there's know, no charge. So is what, what, what is he going there to defend? So the only potential thing, and, I, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm just jumping to the other side for one second, and I don't believe anything I'm about to say, is <laughs> he is being charged with prohibitive contact so they're going to argue perhaps that he was too far off the ball or Tanner Bruin wasn't expecting contact. Therefore, it was prohibitive contact that caused an injury, as in a concussion, not shoulder to head, but the head hitting the ground. And because it was prohibitive contact, you're responsible for whatever happens in the contact, which is the head hitting the ground. That can so be the only argument they make. Why did the MRO not reach that conclusion? Because it's not a conclusion that should be reached. <laughs> Even as I was saying it, I was thinking I was talking absolute nonsense. But that can be the only argument they might make. Scrunch it up, toss it out, Lingy, move on. <laughs> Hope so. Hope so. The Western Bulldogs, so they've given themselves this little chance. That's going to be fascinating. Hawthorne's proven not an easy side to beat in Launceston over the years, so that'll be an interesting game. Brisbane or Melbourne. So the opportunity is there for Collingwood. If Collingwood wins, they're guaranteed top four because one of Brisbane or Melbourne is going to lose. Whoever loses that game, if they fall out of the top four, they could run into Richmond. And no one wants to run into Richmond in an elimination final, do they, in the first week, the way they're playing the Tigers and what they're capable of. So by that scenario, you're saying if Collingwood wins and Fremantle win... The loser of Melbourne, Brisbane fall to sixth and play Richmond. Yes, that could happen. Okay. As it stands at the moment. So, yeah, you've got Brisbane in fourth at the moment, Melbourne in third. So one of those teams is going to lose. Should either Collingwood or Fremantle win, 
one of those sides will be losing their spot in the top eight. If top Richmond four. lost yeah. and Carlton won, Richmond could finish eighth, which would, but I think they're you know more likely to finish seventh because they should beat Essendon this weekend. Whoever plays, what I'm trying to say is whoever plays Richmond in the first week of the finals and the teams in the bottom portion of the eight are dangerous. Well, so that I, top four is really important this year. Have I got another another scenario where, and this is all these crazy ones here, I'm doing this in my head. Have I got another one that if Carlton win, but Richmond also win, Richmond finish seventh, Carlton finish eighth. Fremantle yeah. win, which we think is going to happen, so they jump up. So Carlton have beaten Collingwood. Yep. Collingwood would slide to sixth. We would get Collingwood, oh Richmond at the MCG in an elimination final. Uh, Thank you very much. Lingy. <laughs> but on your, on your original point, yeah, playing Richmond is still a scary thought. They're so these not- sides who've done all the good work, so you've got Geelong's locked away, but you've got Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Collingwood all having banked 15 wins. There's not room for all of them in the top four. And there's Richmond lurking beneath them. Even Carlton demonstrated that they're capable of of beating good opposition with the way they played against Melbourne. And we're assuming, um, and you can't assume anything, but we're assuming Fremantle beats the Giants. And due to their um, being on 58 points, they will jump ahead of any of that Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane or Collingwood that lose. Yeah. That's why teams slide back to sixth. On your point about Richmond, I, I... I couldn't agree more. They are still a scary proposition. Somehow they've pieced together enough wins, even when they Richmond kept beating Richmond in those games. You've got Shea Bolton as just an out-and-out jet. You've got Tom Lynch back healthy and, and bagging eight and just looking good and dangerous. And Jack Rewalt now just has to play the, the, the pop-up, you know, maybe find one or two goals type player. You've got Dusty probably playing finals and uh, and who knows he might not be peak dusty but even if you got 85% dusty that's a very very good player um their back lines well organized on a in a big game at the MCG and I've, I've said this right throughout the second half of the year if it happens to be a slightly greasy sort of drizzly night or there's a bit of a bit of dew on the ground Richmond will prove to be a very very dangerous opposition um that is one you don't want to draw in that first elimination final. Um, out of all of them, Brisbane getting them at the Gabba is probably, probably the best scenario for the opposition having to play Richmond. The rest are all, well, Melbourne and Collingwood drawing Richmond at the G is just oh, epic. The Swans getting Richmond up at the SCG, well, I reckon Richmond could still do something. But, yeah, they're, they're dangerous, Al. I still think they can go deep. The Tigers, um, they, that first game's going to be huge. Whoever they play against, against a really good opposition, they get over that. Uh, they're, they're probably looking like playing a, a prelim final again. Yeah, let's see what happens. It's going to be this final series. Honestly, I it just feels like such an interesting finals race coming up. We've still got a fascinating final round of football to get us there. So. A uh, quick comment or two on Port Adelaide. Obviously, they look the best of the teams to me outside of the eight. I think St Kilda's back end of the season is they've just completely fallen away, and Port Adelaide has gone in the other direction, going to miss out. But they've they've been competitive against some good sides when they've lost as well, and just did an absolute number. 
It was a bit messy the way it played out during the week with Ken Hinckley and, you know, everyone at the club being put on notice essentially by David Kosh as much as by the back end of the week he'd, he'd re-endorsed Ken. It wasn't probably the greatest thing Ken's ever heard, but I think Port Adelaide's got a bit of substance about them still, Lingy. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Al. It was, it was a bizarre week from Koshy and, and what he said. I, I don't think he meant – I think in his own head he would have been almost a bit of a – a fire up publicly, like, you know, we're all on notice, we're all in this together, and we've all got to actually step up to the plate because it hasn't been a good enough year. But all that did was say, oh, gee, Kenny's included, you know, Kenny's maybe gone, and all that, that probably vocal minority of Port Adelaide supporters who wanted Kenny gone got more voice and, yep, get rid of him, get rid of him. Um, it, it wasn't great messaging from Koshi, but to his credit, at least he quickly got back on the front foot and made a decision either way. And the decision had to be we're moving on from Ken or we are absolutely backing him one and he's our coach in 2023. Forget all the talk. And I'm glad it was the, the, the coaching in 2023 because Ken Hinckley's a very good coach. He's gone to close to it a few times now with, with two different groups, you know, that run in 2014 with one group, a prime Travis Boak and Robbie Gray and all that. Then he's gone again. Both times it's only ended in prelim final runs. Um, so he's going to have to find a way to, to make a real grand final and premiership run. Um, but I think he's capable of it. Connor Rosie felt in the back half of the year that he started to make that leap that we were discussing all the way back at the start of the year that he hadn't made. Midfield's his position. Um, he's no longer that creative forward. He's a midfielder who can really impact forward of centre. They've got to get some of their other players healthier. They've probably got to, they've got to take another risk again like they did to get Rosie and Butters and Dersmer and maybe trade one or two out to get some real early draft picks, but also target a couple of free agents. And, you know, if, if that Horn Francis situation gets any messier, are they in the running to be able to entice him back home? Add some elements to it, but I think the right call is you don't get rid of a, a good coach. Um, Kenny's yet to prove he's a great coach. Kenny won't mind me saying that because great coaches are judged on premiership success, but he's a good coach, Kenny. You don't get rid of good coaches and move on to this maybe land where you don't end up with, you might not end up with anything any good. Um, back in the fact Kenny's good, doing everything he can to become great. People need to realise that there's one premiership to be won every year. So the opportunity to become great if the if the marker of a great coach is premierships, there's not, how do you become a great coach when there is only one premiership per year that can be won? And there are so many other quality teams in the competition vying for it. So I think if you are consistently taking your team into finals and giving them opportunities to have a crack at it, look at Geelong in recent times, the number of times they've, you know, made it into the top four, made it to preliminary finals, had that grand final, obviously under Chris Scott's reign and, and win in 2011 when you were the captain thingy, but haven't won a premiership since, but they're always there. Sydney's done it as well. In fact, they're the two most successful sides through the 2000s, Geelong and Sydney. And I think John Longmire and Chris Scott would both be regarded as very, very good coaches. Great coaches? Yeah, but borderline great coaches. They've done an excellent job. It, it is a funny thing about our game, though. We do – it is premiership or bust a little yeah, bit. Yeah, even for players. I yeah. mean – Anyone who would suggest that Nick Rewald is not an out-and-out -out champion of the game on the basis that he never won a premiership, that that's a very hard marker, I think. 
No, that that's right, and I think we can we've learned to celebrate more players who were gr- truly great players who didn't unfortunately get the premiership success. I still think we judge coaches on bringing that team together and holding the premiership cup. American sport, and I suppose it's spread over thirty-two teams in the NFL, thirty in the NBA. They celebrate. You make the playoffs. You're a fantastic coach, and you've um, you know your your fan base is really happy. You win the AFC Championship game. Um, and that's a huge win and you get a banner for it and everything like that. You get belted in the Super Bowl two weeks later, but that's all right. We won, we won the AFC Championship game or the NFC Championship game. We don't have that just on because of the sheer number of teams. It is only 18 teams. And as much as you might celebrate excitement of playing finals for the first time in a while, or that was a really good year, I can, I can see the future. Ultimately, we celebrate that one in 18 that one premiership coach who's taken his team all the way and delivered on the biggest day. And it seems unfair at times, but also I suppose if we're going to elevate people to truly great, we've got to have some measure and, and bringing a team together to win that premiership is, is it? it's why we celebrate Alistair Clarkson. We're talking about him being so wanted by North Melbourne or Essendon because he did it four times. Um, the ability to, to deliver that, means you're truly great as a coach. And, um, and Scotty and John Longmire are great examples. They are right on the verge of being renowned as truly great coaches because of the ability to win one early and then build a whole new thing again while still staying really competitive yeah. and really relevant. Uh, as we've been speaking early afternoon on Monday, no further news around Essendon. And, and what we're hearing is that players and staff haven't been told of of any change there at this point. So we'll wait and see what transpires in the next few hours. The other big meeting occurring today, Lingy, of course, is the AFL Commission meeting. We're hot on the table for discussion is that Tasmanian licence and the AFL Commission will be thrashing that out. And I understand putting some sort of, of pact, uh, information pack to club presidents and, and clubs and chief executives to look at in the course of the next little period. So in the words of Jack Rewalt, get it done. Get <laughs> it done. It's timely. It's absolutely time. So let's see what happens over the next couple of weeks there. I think that's an important few weeks because, you know, you, I read all the, the, the news articles and, and, and I understand the debate between for and against and all that sort of stuff. And I just, I, I take it all in and trying to learn. The feeling was that some club presidents who are potentially going to vote on this have already got their minds made up. I hope not. And I hope, the information packs that you're talking about and the real thorough detail on what what could happen, what this team might look like, how they would build the team, the allowances that they will have, the um, the financial backing, all, all the things are presented to all the presidents and they take that away with a really open mind and then make up their mind. Yeah. Now, they could still come out against it. That's fine. That's, that's their prerogative. But go in with an open mind with all the details. Don't go in with a completely closed mind and say, yeah. nah, this is never going to happen. Um, so that's what these next few weeks are. And, and they're really important few weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. There needs to be a degree of a bit objectivity. I think Tony Cochran, thankfully, has has pulled his head in a bit and he's he's gone silent on this because he came out of the block so hard and so fast against without being willing to consider the business case in any way, shape or form before he formed an opinion. So that's what needs to happen here. And the other thing I would request to the President's Lingy is that they take off their hard-headed business approach to this and make a decision in the interests of the game 
The AFL is the 18 teams in the AFL as it exists at the moment and the players who run out and play in front of thousands of people on the weekend. But the AFL has also inherited the responsibility of keeper of the code. So they have a responsibility to every layer of the game and that stems from the AFL right down to the grassroots. Tassie's an AFL heartland. It's been there from the word go and the AFL has left it behind. And an AFL team is needed to regenerate the game down there in Tasmania, or sadly, as dramatic as some people think it is for me to say it, it is dying a slow, slow, painful death down there and we need to do something to stop it. So here's the moment. Tassie government's put a wonderful offer on the table. And I think Gillan McLaughlin wants this to happen. I think Gillan McLaughlin's a good man. He has a good understanding of the history of the game and he's a very principled man. And, and he will get this over the line just like he has done previously. But I don't think it's across the line yet. I'm still hopeful, Lingy, and, and along I will be. I think it would be the most significant thing that's happened in terms of unifying the whole of Tasmania as well. Uh, I think it would just be great for Tassie, great for the game, and uh, I think it would be such a special thing to see that map in the AFL. Anyway, that's my <laughs> position. We'll wait and see what happens. We've got an interesting round of football to dissect. When we talk next week, we will know the top eight. Yes. We'll know our finalists. We'll know who's playing where and when as much as we'll have to wait another week with the bye before we get to see those matches take place. But I think we're in for a rollicking weekend before we get to that point, Lingy. Oh, it'll be a brilliant weekend, Al. You enjoy every single minute of, it, minute of it. Everyone out there, enjoy your weekend. Carlton fans, I can only wish you luck. Are Just you going to be there? You're, you're doing that game for seven on Sunday? I don't think I am, Al. I haven't looked well, that Well, we need to change that. Yet. <laughs> I want front row seats. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll just go I, and watch. I remember doing, uh, I reckon I just started with Channel 7. Uh, Might have been my second year there doing that Richmond Carlton elimination final on the boundary. 2013. One of the most enjoyable days that the footy I've ever had. I couldn't believe the passion of the crowd and the ebbs and flows in the game. I reckon Sunday's a chance to be like that. Oh, my goodness. Huge. It was Carlton last, Carlton's last final win, that one, in 2013, Lingy. So, yeah, so much at stake. Collingwood looking to lock away a top four finish, which I think they deserve based on the way that they've played. Still got to get it done. And then Carlton, after all the good work through the first half of the season, now finds itself in a position where it's spotting the eights in jeopardy. So, so many permutations still, so many unknowns, so many possibilities Look forward to the final round and look forward to chatting to you again next week to see what on earth took place, mate. Can't wait. All the best, Al. Good on you, mate. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 